old grandfather tell me how it was when you were young Was the world so very old when your life had just begun Oh grandfather tell me is it true you worked the land and the Welcome to the Living Permaculture Show. I'm Jerome Osentowski and my special guest is Casey Pescura. And uh, Casey, we haven't uh, had you on the show for at least two or three years now, and so uh, I guess a lot of things have changed over with the farm. And um, you want to tell us a little bit about what your new focus is and how things are uh, evolving over there? And yeah, thanks, Jerome. Great to be back and to see you. Um, yeah, so we're still uh, those that don't know me. I um, run a vegetable. Uh, production and seed farm up the Crystal Valley on Sunfire Ranch, which is actually the one of the oldest ranches in Pickin County. And um, we have a couple things. We do farmer's markets and stuff like that. We also do online seed sales, but not just seed growing, but um, in particular seed breeding, seed development, trying to adapt plants to uh, our climate and, and our systems as well and um let's see just updates are we're 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 um we're looking to do a pretty substantial expansion um trying to hopefully double our outdoor bed space uh really kind of um focusing on kind of optimizing outdoor production and a lot of crops that are we think are are kind of the most um important for like winter storage food um, which are really the crops that are best for for our area, and um, and so if you guys don't know, so um, we we've run uh, our wild mountain seeds, which is a um, our for profit seed business, and then three years ago we uh, started a nonprofit uh, called Seed Peace, uh, with the mission to try to accelerate the transition to regenerative agriculture and land management in the Roaring Fork Valley. And with that, we're really trying to look at, like, what's the reality if someone was a youth in the area and came up with a thirst for wanting to have a career in agriculture? Is it is it possible? Are there is there a pathway for them to get educated? Is there land for them to use? Is there an economic structure and support structure in place for for them to to get off in the regenerative agriculture career. So you're sort of mentoring some some uh, interns or farmers that uh, might want to get into uh, access to land and to learn how to farm the way you're farming. Yeah, correct. So we do a kind of full intensive apprenticeship annually um, that really is uh, hands on. That they grow all the crops and um, also to seed, and and we've been doing that now for. This is eight years that we've had that program, and then we're trying to engage other other programs locally, um, especially around like kind of working with other organizations, uh, land stewarding organizations, and local governments to see where where there's some traction to start setting up a bigger ecosystem of agriculture in the area. Well, wait, I think a couple of the interns you have over there were interns of mine back. In the days, I think Eric is it Eric or Aaron Eric, right? Yeah. So Nick now, yeah, um, Nick, right. He's yeah, he's uh, actually um, our new farm manager, and wow, he's great, doing a really great job. And he was uh, at Two Roots um, there working, and so it's kind of stepping up into a management position. But he's really enjoying it, and I think he enjoys our kind of program yeah. of 
kind of having a soil first mentality and great i remember when he was working at uh at one of the marijuana grow houses and he came up and volunteered uh for me over the weekends and then then he spent a year over at harper's and now he's over at your place so yeah that's 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 great uh but um and um the farm collaborative has something similar and so there's a good chance that people are going to learn wherever they're going to learn at sustainable settings at your place farm collaborative or at crimpy they're going to get some uh some exposure to different kinds of agriculture and then see what really makes uh sense to them yeah yeah and i you know i think even more importantly from from there as they get the exposure we're able to grow within our organizations and start to look at like where where do we really start to put more farmers on the land cuz i think we're really in a in a predicament where we just don't have a replacement rate of farmers in the country. Um, we're starting to see it just with farm, some of the old legacy farms over in Paonia just can't keep doing it at the same scale just because they're older. And particularly this valley, I just, I don't see where the family farm is, is really how we're going to, uh, feed people into the future. It's, um, you know, the, the, the land that you need that is adequate for agriculture is is highly is very expensive and um you know the equipment startup costs all these things so i think we're all considering the reality of a cooperative kind of model and hopefully community supported on lots of levels so that when when we do have someone like a nick or someone who really wants to do it that they can do it and and hopefully um have a a good career and, and a living wage yeah, I was like Megan was just here to set up the board, and she was an intern at my place twenty years ago. <laughs> I think she came to the valley, uh, like a lot of people, like Natalie Ray and Stephanie and uh, Stephanie Meisner, all came uh, through Crimpy, and and then they just I call them the Crimpy girls. Uh-huh. And uh, but that's um, and some of the seeds uh, that you're growing, I've been growing as well. I mean, we uh, the cucumbers I got from you. Um, it was a challenge to grow uh, the cucumbers in my greenhouses this year and last year uh, because of pill bugs. So what we do is outsmart the pill bugs. We um, we take slices of potatoes, and twice a day we have to go in and take the pill bugs off and put them in a can and feed them to the chickens. But that distracts them long enough for the for the stem of the uh, cucumber to harden off. So that the the uh, pill bugs don't girdle it, and they actually were girdling tomatoes as well. So it's interesting. So, but uh, we got through that, and uh, we're just getting tons of cucumbers. Uh, those are just uh, really nice. Uh, I eat a couple every, every day. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a really vigorous strain that we've been working on. Um, really focus on powdery mildew resistance because a lot of. Um, of resistance genes that we rely on in, in agriculture, especially in small scale stuff or our genes developed somewhere. And then the seed was produced oftentimes overseas. And by the time you get the seed planted into your greenhouse here, it's, it's just not the same uh, race or strain of powdery mildew or whatever it might be that, mm-hmm. that it was before. And, and actually, um, with the pill bugs, because we've we've had pill bugs um, that have troubled uh, young plants as well, and I I wonder if there is a potential for adaptation of the of the stem 
um, over time if you're cons if you have ones that are able to withstand the early predation. But really, that's the magic of seed is it's learning. It wants to survive. We're just kind of ushering it along with a keen eye. Yeah, adapting the seed to the to condition of the land and whether it's a greenhouse or outdoors and and you're challenging uh, zone four, sometimes zone three up there where you're getting a frost uh, about, you know, maybe only uh, three months out of the year you don't have a frost, right? Yeah, it's pretty pretty incredible, you know, to think about like where we started and where we came from. I think one of the biggest things has been, you know, one in our seed and and our farm management, but also generally um, shifting and changing a lot of the land management on the whole 1,200 acres and seeing changes in, in the patterns um, where, um, where we had, we weren't maybe managing our moisture and water as well as we once did. Um, now we've gotten uh, shifted. We do rotational grazing. We've, we really try to hold on to all the water we get in the spring, make sure that we're not exposing the soil or cutting or haying, haying the ground and leaving it low where it, it really can't, can't grow back fast and you're losing photosynthesis, which is ultimately you're losing um, carbon sequestration, period. So yeah. um, what we found is we're, we've raised the organic matter content. We're seeing the cottonwoods come back. We're seeing more birds, more insects. And then ultimately it's bringing the humidity up just enough that we don't have the big swings and the dips and the lows that cause a lot of issues. So where we may not have a longer season, we have not quite as low of a night um, because it's higher humidity. And then that's giving us more growing degree days. And so a lot of our focus lately has been Take the days we have and maximize the photosynthesis on those days and really focus on on that as the key factor to growing really healthy plants, um, as well as, you know, building the soil, hopefully, at the same time. Well, you're growing soil on the entire – instead of mining, you know, like a lot of the farms around you, um, you know, focus on hay and cattle, and, and a lot of times they – you know they take a lot more out than they put back in, and now what you're you're doing is uh, making sure that you know some of that, a lot of the hay you use for mulch, right? And then um, you're turning some of it back in and uh, doing some um, some uh, ripping, and uh, you know just over time, I know that Jason and his wife took the RPDC about twenty over twenty years ago, and he's always you know, from that time he started, you know, uh, I think he leased out in an area to Dominic and he, uh, Dominic was growing herbs and then you came along and your your operation has really expanded and um, and your soil building is an amazing for your, on your annual gardening. I've never seen anybody that does interplanting and builds soil that we've done uh in, in that short of a season as well. That's challenging. Just talk a little bit about how you do that. Um, I mean, you're, you're constantly interplanting. You not only get diversity uh, and, and pollination, but you're fixing nitrogen while you're growing your, your, uh, your cash crop. 
Yeah, I mean, the main focus is just the same as in permaculture is is just don't leave the soil uncovered. And so, you know, we want oftentimes in the early parts of the year uh, when the, you know, most of the soil life is dormant um, until, until the temperatures come up. When the temperature comes up, there's needing to be life in that the life in the soil needs a place to live and that needs to be roots and there needs to be plants and and when there's not there the life it needs it, to be cover it's stu- it, it starves and so our focus is just how can we keep the the soil covered as much as possible you know and um actually part of our expansion plans are to give us the right amount of space to keep up with the demand of the annuals of uh, the cash crops while still having enough space that we can grow out our dry beans and and then have actually like a dedicated cover crop uh, in a block that really gives uh, a full replenishment with the diverse root exudates. So, you know, if we're just growing a, you know, a, a cash crop, we're going to try to make that as diverse as possible. Um, but definitely having the soil cover is, is really important. And, you know, a, another big eye-opener has been um, I've been studying a lot the work of a guy named John Kempf. And he has a, um, a podcast that is uh, the Regenerative Agriculture Podcast. And he is um, really sparked my understanding of, like, how soil without plants – it we we we've always thought of like how do you build soil, and we've we've said well you have great or how do you grow great plants you have great soil, but it's kind of incomplete because without plants soil is just minerals and no life so you can also kind of think in the reverse. Can I make the plants that I'm growing really really healthy? And thus then grow great soil because you're creating the habitats necessary for the soil to build. And so we've done a lot of shifting, like changing the timing of watering has been maybe the biggest things, one of the biggest things that we've done. The soil, the the life in the soil is aquatic and it, you need to have water in the soil for it to move around. Um, it allows gas exchange and all the things that, that need to happen, but... Um, what was really kind of eye-opening when learning from what John Kemp was teaching is he was saying that when the, when the leaf temperatures of the plant go above 85 degrees, the plants are just physically stressed and they cannot photosynthesize. So think about around here, gosh, on a hot summer day like we're having today, we could have 85-degree leaf temperatures at 10, 10 o'clock, 10.30. And so from 1030 till whenever the leaf temperatures drop back down, the plants are actually in more of what they call photorespiration, which is a cannibalistic on the glomalin or the liquid carbon that they made in the morning. So most of the day on a hot, sunny day, the plants can't actually grow. So we figure, well, let's start cooling the plants down at 1030 with our irrigation system. And so we're able to cool the plants down. That gives us maybe another hour or two hours of photosynthesis and then doing it again, adding hopefully another couple hours in the, at the end of the day. And what, what happens is, um, based on what he's understanding, is that 
they don't need to be as cannibalistic on that glomalin that they made because they have a better condition. Thus, you're able to like get excess stored into the ground. And ultimately, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about this on hay crop. We're thinking about this and really I'm trying to teach my folks is like, focus on the environment. You know, the environment is what is the easiest thing to probably like the environment you can create to make the plants healthier seems to be really important. Yeah, and watering is one, and lowering the temperature is another one, uh, covering the soil with mulch so that the soil food web has uh, a, you know, a nice home to live in and it has moisture mm-hmm. to slime around with. <laughs> the worms can't, um, they can't move if, they, if they're in dry material. That's a, kind of what we're doing. We're starting our PD, or our academy tomorrow, and uh, I think this will air on Monday, and so... We'll still have four days of the uh, forest garden starting on, uh, I believe, Thursday. So if anybody wants to sign up, they can take the last four days of our... And then we'll be out at your place for our our annual tour for that class. And they really enjoy seeing what you do, seeing your, your... The innovations that you've had, you know, doing hoop houses and how you've... Uh added more things and how you ventilate them, how you trellis things. It's pretty impressive how you've, uh, did you, did you learn that at school or did you, or you just pick that up when you were uh, doing that? Yeah, no, I just kind of, uh, learned, um, through visiting farms, uh, some apprenticing myself, Mm -hmm. um, as well as just like kind of, um, just staying, uh, intrigued, intuitive, trying to read up on the latest and greatest things, and and then also just problem solving. I mean, I think that's the key to being a good farmer is you're kind of mitigating risk and you're trying to um, problem solve and build systems that that take less um, labor. Labor is uh, exactly. the most expensive and resources. Yep, and so as much as possible, trying to get to where we're planting and harvesting. Because those are the two things that we're, you know, where we're actually getting revenue right off and all other things like weeding and these things are, are ultimately cost, uh, adding uh, cost to the, to the system. So, um, Jerome, what do you think about the whole ecosystem and how things have changed in the valley for, uh, for local agriculture and um, since you started and, and to now? Well, I started in 87 down by the post office with two acres, and and I was the only farmer, I think. There was one other gal who was doing a small scale. And then uh, just, it was not last year, maybe it was last fall, two falls ago, we had um, uh, a, a farmer's uh, meeting, a young farmer's meeting at uh, at uh, Cow- the Kaufman Ranch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Harper's Ranch, and uh, it was amazing. There was a, I took the photo, and it was in an edible aspen. There was like 15 or 20 farmers in a circle. And then we had a big dinner uh, just across the way if, a, a month later that, uh, that was, uh, you know, celebrating our, you know, all the young farmers and all the people who support the farmers. I, so, I mean, we haven't had much in the last year or so, but... Um, where do you think we need to? Where do you think we need to go with that? Um, 
Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I, I think now that there's a lot more farmers around that people are starting to feel like it's their duty to support agriculture. I think maybe a lot of people thought it wasn't possible or too short or not worth investing in. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it, it seems it's like something you don't want to think about that food wouldn't show up at city market one day. Right, right. But, you know, it's, it does, it behooves us not to make plans to try to create an eco- food economy as well as just, you know, the local food is good for health and, and, you know, healthy, vibrant farms are, should be part of our landscape. And, you know, I, I think that we need to ground out more investment. I think it's the reality of the amount of work it takes, the ingenuity, the understanding of how to do the farming is, uh, is way underpaid. Um, and, and so it, it, I think we'll have, there'll always be maybe a need for a little bit of philanthropy to bring it to bring it to the finish line so that someone who's like, oh, I want to be a farmer and they want to live in the Roaring Fork Valley, they're going to be enticed by the career path and not ultimately like turned off because, well, why do I want to work hard and get paid so little? And so I think a lot of, you know, like yourself and, and the pioneers of, you know, some of our young farmers who have been doing it around here for a little while, 10 years or so, you know, we've made sacrifices to make it work. But I think there comes a time where it's like you shouldn't have to make sacrifices to be a farmer. There. You should be able to scale up as well. I think there's some new funding coming up. And, you know, we should be subsidized or uh, funded like you know, some big agricultural uh, operations are, you know, get bailed out or, you know, get funding to, to uh, you know, there are some um, some new funding cycles coming up, and I'll put them up on our website, uh, and I'll send them over to you. Uh, and this new um, – and some for sustainable agriculture as well, for alley cropping and some some uh, regenerative agriculture. That's kind of what um, – yeah. well, we can just uh, – we can just let this run for a bit if you want. If you feel like you, we can just uh, – go on for another half an hour or so if you um so um what i mean in a sense um your operation is uh making money and you've got some sponsors donating money to you to keep you going and that that seems to work pretty well uh but that's not i guess that's not for everybody you know um Harrison's just started uh, five acres out at the Parker Ranch, and so he's um, he's got a, a you know a lot lot to learn, and also he doesn't have any resources. Uh, he's scrapping to get this and that. I mean, just like everybody when they start, right? So how do we get uh, get a heads heads up on somebody like that? How do we get more? funding and resources uh to somebody who's just starting yeah i mean i think that once you have the expertise and you understand like how to do it then the next steps are like 
to get into some scale. And it's oftentimes just it's a risky endeavor for the begin, beginning farmer to, you know, buy the equipment necessary and break all the land and all the irrigation and everything that's needed for vegetables or whether it's to scale up birds or anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we were able to take that, you know, the risk and then put it out onto the community – where everybody gave a little bit so that the farmer doesn't have all the risk on, you know, growing a winter supply of carrots, for example. And and where it becomes a trouble is like, okay, like, you know, okay, I'm going to scale up. I'm going to do another acre of carrot, let's say, which would be a large amount. It's going to take more bins, and then you need more cold storage, and then you need more washing expansion, and then – and it's just – and then you got to be ready to get it when it's there. And it ultimately it just becomes more and more risk that the farm is kind of like, ah, they get to their happy level where it's not too much risk. If you have any failures, but that's not going to ultimately feed everyone. And so, you know, my vision of it is, you know, when people get started, you help them out with like having local knowledge that's easy to – that everybody – you know, has access to kind of the standards of procedure to do the crops well. And then, you know, we start to take some bigger jumps and risk, but basically use community funding to get the equipment and everything so that then the farmer is kind of just the operator, not holding all the the risk. And I, I think, you know, with the two forks clubs, there's been a good start to it. But um, I think, you know, the next step is, is um, some larger plots of land that we can, like, collectively farm with, you know, where the farmer is not having to put up all the capital to build it. And that could be a, a, a piece of open space land somewhere right here in the valley. And you, you were working on some land down in silt, and then you're not doing that now. Uh, yeah, no, we, we just kind of – it's uh, we're still interested in farming and some other – parcels but just this year we we kind of grounded out uh on the you know our our spot and just kind of focus on getting nick up and going but you know i think the dream would be to build a cooperative where we have you know you know 10 farmers working together and you may grow a few less crops but you might grow them better um and we can also grow seed in that way if we're coordinated because we could control pollen transfers sometimes i can't grow a seed crop because another crop's going to cross with it and just just kind of get more organized and then hopefully you know the community can step up in a way that um allows us to really bring a lot more food to the table with uh, kind of organization or the government uh wasn't there something that pitkin county was going to do and look into doing a study on whether they're going to take the old city market building and turn it into a food hub and a processing fest. I've read that in the paper, but I didn't, I haven't heard anything uh, recently whether that went through or not. So I think we'll just uh, wrap it up. Thanks for coming by and uh, we'll, um, we'll see you next week. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Great talking. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Before all the streets were paved.